on this episode of Pass and Stow, we talk about the Fanatic's brand new look, our first impressions of Zach Wheeler and some other new faces, and we present our top five most important position players for the 2020 season. Episode four of Pass and Stow starts right now. going on everybody we are back passing stow episode four it's good to get back uh in the recording studio jake and mike here with you on on the air and jake i know it's been a while since since our last episode since episode three came out but excited to get episode four going out today what's going on with you my man yeah i'm doing pretty well i got a little bit in over my head last time when i said that we were going to get a podcast scheduled down and and put the next episode out on friday i ran into some scheduling issues and uh, some technical difficulties in the last episode so uh for those listening now we really appreciate it and yeah but i'm going i'm doing well man i'm happy to be back on here to talk a little bit more phillies a lot's happened in the past week and a half that we haven't been on yeah and that's good for us a lot to talk about spring training continues to roll on grapefruit league action uh, pretty much every day now at this point into spring training, the Phillies have showcased a ton of different players in their in their spring games so far, whether it's roster locks or guys that are looking to make the club as, as a couple, couple of the last pieces or as top prospects just getting some run in some of these big league uh, spring training games. Uh, the Phillies have thrown out a lot of guys out there, so plenty of spring training storyline stuff to get into. We're going to play top five again towards the end of the show. We're going to bring that back from uh, that was episode two. We, we debuted that, so that should be fun. And, uh, of course, always a Phillies twist on that. Uh, but, Jake, let's start today talking about the Philly Fanatic. Uh, a lot of news when you alluded to that there's a lot to get to. This is part of it. The Philly Fanatic, uh, a lot of news surrounding uh, uh, arguably the, the best mascot in all of sports out there, whether it's just all of baseball or all of sports. Philly Fanatic's one of the best. So uh, plenty of news out there, Jake, and uh, some of it good, some of it bad, depending on what side of the argument you're on. But there's, uh, there's a lot going on with uh, Mr. Philly Fanatic. Yeah, for those who don't know, the Fanatic's gone through a little bit of cosmetic change. Uh, some differences, notably, you could see it in the tail uh, above his eyes. Instead of like the weird, like flowery kind of uh, eyelash, eyebrow, I guess what he used to have, they're now stars. Uh, it's a lot lighter of a blue. Sh- it's a lot lighter of a shade of blue. Uh, same thing with the tail. Uh, he's got wings under his arms. A lot of people have been saying scales. Uh, for what people don't, some people might not know, but Fanatic, he's actually or he or she, is actually a flightless bird. So they're trying to play on that with the wings. Uh, and he did that in his first game when he when he jumped on his ATV and tried to fly and he wasn't going anywhere. So he's trying to play along with it, trying to show people it's not that bad. Uh, he lost a little bit of weight too, it looks like. His legs, you're actually able to see them a little bit more, not as much of a belly. And the big contentious issue about this is that people have been kind of alluding that this is all because of the lawsuit that the Phillies have been dealing with the last, the last year in the, in the original creators of the Fanatic uh, who who created this for the Phillies back so long ago, and they're trying to retain the rights to him. And and we'll find out that verdict, in, I think, in June or so. So we'll find out more if this is if these changes are going to be enough to, to show that the Fanatic is different. I'm pretty sure that's what this was about. Uh, but if not, I mean, he's going to be a pretty coveted, pretty highly coveted free agent, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But uh, I want to know what your take is on the Fanatic, Mike. I, I, I'm not too, like... I'm not too against it, but I I can see where people kind of are are really like not about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you if you're you've been a Phillies fan your whole life, and and you've especially if you've been around since the Fanatics' inception, I I, I gotta I gotta imagine, yeah, it can ruffle some people's feathers. Um, 
But I'll be honest, Jake, I don't, is, is it weird that I didn't really notice any changes right away when I first, now I didn't see the picture side by side of new versus old, but is it weird of me? Is it, am I not enough of a fan that I didn't really notice right away all the changes? Yeah, you're a bandwagon fan. It's what it is, obviously. <laughs> I mean, when you don't notice that the fanatic uh, doesn't have his uh, his cone anymore, it's now of a it's more like a a cylinder for his honker, as you could say. It's uh it's pretty in, it's pretty indicative that you're uh, you're a pretty bad fan. Yeah. <laughs> well, you you did mention some weight loss. I don't know. 2020 New Year's resolution right there for for the fanatic. Uh, he, I mean, hey, if it's only it's only uh, early March and. He's already slimmed down quite a bit, so his his resolution, uh, he's taken that to heart. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I when I first saw it, I'm thinking like, all right, maybe I, I can see some of the, some of these small differences. But I'm thinking like, all right, look, this is still the Philly fanatic. There's nothing too crazy about it here. Now, if if the Phillies' goal was to alter the fanatic enough that it you know doesn't necessarily look like the original, or they're trying to get out of a lawsuit here, like ugh, I don't I don't really know if they're going to be able to do that because these lawsuits can get messy. There's a lot that goes on with image and likeness, and and that stuff can get really messy depending on who's involved and 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 the whole stuff inside the courts and that. So I mean, I, there's other than I mean, you take away the weight if if the the weight the fanatic weight loss hadn't happened, it's almost identical to be honest. As as if you're looking from the green part up, yeah, the shoes are different, the socks are different color. Uh, I don't really. The, you, you're looking up around the eye area with the blue and that kind of purplish. That's not much different. So it, you take away the weight loss, and it's almost the same thing. So uh, I don't know. This could get messy in court. I feel like these things always have a way of kind of getting a little, a, a little weird and and out of hand. So who knows? Yeah, and the thing with the fanatic too is, I mean, he it means so much to so many people uh, who are Phillies fans, and changing that likeness uh, kind of is a little confusing to some. And and you mentioned the 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 blue shade. In my opinion, it doesn't really. It kind of clashes with the with the green or what the fanatic is. So I'm I'm not too much of a fan. I know you're gonna ask. Uh, in a second here of what if I were to make any changes to the fanatic, that's what I would change. Would be would be that pretty much like above his eyes is it's a little too light blue for me but I don't want to be too much of a stickler for for my fanatic but uh something funny that came up out of this was actually I'm not sure if you're aware of the show Mike uh John Oliver's show last week tonight I actually had a little bit of a a a play on this a little bit of a fun segment basically saying that if he becomes a free agent that the the last week tonight show is going to basically throw any amount of money the fanatic at the fanatic to become their new show mascot. So uh, there's going to be some competitions for the fanatic. If he ends up becoming a free agent, like this lawsuit, I uh, like it. Like and I mean, deems. Hey, he's maybe he's following the, the, the Mookie bets formula. And regardless of what offers are thrown at you, you hit free agency. You know what I'm saying? So maybe he, yep. he's on that Mookie train right there. Like regardless of what's going on, who he's playing for it. Nah, now I'm hitting free agency, testing the market. I want to test myself. Uh, you know, with, with everybody bidding. So who knows, but uh, I'm with you there on like that, you know, it, it almost looks like some eyeshadow and it's just, I'm not really feeling it. That That's what I'll say about it. I'm not really feeling it. Uh, the, 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 it, you there's more blue there and it's like bigger, it's like bushier up top. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not really exactly on board with that change. It kind of makes it, it's, it's interesting. I'll say that. But uh, yeah, if, if you had to like, let's say somebody puts you in charge of making some changes for the fanatic. Uh, it could be anything from the most drastic thing out there to you know some simple stuff. What are you, what are you throwing on or off the fanatic? Based off the new changes, I would probably say above the eyes. I think the what the fanatic had before was perfect. That that dark shade of blue, the the vibrant pink. This is more of a light shade of pink and a lighter shade of blue. 
I don't mind the tail as much. The tail doesn't really bother me as bad as some other fans have been bothered by it. I really like the shoes and what they've done with that. So I think those are a nice design. It's something completely different than what we've seen before. Um, other than that, I mean, the Fanatic, it's, it's, it's hard to really change it. And I think that's kind of why they made these changes because – when it comes to the design of the Fanatic, it's, I mean, it's weird to say this, but his design is really simple. Like, you can't really change much about it. And, th- but it's, it's so simple, but, and there's not much to change that when you do change something, it's so, it, it, you notice it a lot more, if that makes any sense. So, like, mm-hmm. that's why this is such a contentious argument. Like, this is such a contentious thing that's going on because people are noticing it, but I'd probably say above the eyes. Um, and, I never really noticed this before John Oliver's hit on it, but his his nose, his honker, whatever you want to call it, it really does throw me off a little bit. If you look at the old Fanatic, what he calls it, he, he said it was a conical honker, so it's like a cone shape. This is more of a cylinder, and it's really it really does look different. That's probably the main thing I would change about it, probably. Yeah, and now that you mention that, I'm looking at them side by side. I definitely can see that. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that jumps off the page is definitely around you know the eye area and and definitely the the whole the, that cone versus cylinder kind of belly now. But um, one thing I'm thinking, like, how cool would it be if, like, the fanatic played to like the weather, like d- during during the seasons during baseball season. So like in the middle of August, and it's you know feels like 105 out on the field. The fanatic's got like an unbuttoned jersey with with uh, with some gym shorts on and flip flops instead of sneakers, throwing the shades on, backwards hat. Uh, but if it's cold out, he's bundled up in like a Phillies jacket, uh, the hood up, something like that, uh, like a hot chocolate in his hand, something like that. Like play to if he could play to the seasons like I, during the summer, I'd love to see the fanatic rolling around in flip flops and an unbuttoned jersey. Yeah, you got to be the fanatics new costume designer. You got some great ideas there. I think I mean, that could definitely be a new play that we haven't the, seen. The tailgating fanatic in him a. Uh, a Bud Light lime in hand in the middle of August, light, <laughs> light blue, uh, light blue throwback jersey, some shades, uh, maybe a bucket hat. A bucket hat would be cool. I'm a big bucket hat guy. Let the record show. I think those are all good ideas. I'm not sure if those would be enough change to to warrant the lawsuit to be dropped, but still, all good ideas nonetheless. Right, and with the whole thing, with, with the fact that the artists, the artists are definitely unhappy because you know it's such a subtle change, and and the Phillies are obviously trying to get out of paying them. Now, I don't want to get into the whole legal thing. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not re I'm not going to go out and read uh, the original agreement and whatnot. But if, if this is a case of the Phillies just making these minor changes uh, to try to avoid paying the original creators of the fanatic. Now that doesn't sit exactly well with me. Now, you know, both of us, we work in sports, media, journalism, broadcasting, whatever it is. Uh, we've, we've all worked in kind of multiple areas of the sports field and look, I get it from from the uh, the creator's perspective. Look, this is their design. They designed it originally. They want to be paid reasonably for the work that they've done and, and for, you know, how big this is. And I mean, when a photographer takes a picture and somebody just decides to use it and not give credit, you know, that's not right. That That's sort of the example here that I'm trying to go after. So I think the, there could just be so many less problems involving this and less such less of a storyline if the Phillies just tried to work something out, you know, pay up, keep the original fanatic, forget these minor changes, go back to to what they had before, and and, and kind of go that route. The fanatic is ours, Mike. Nobody else's. He can't be a free agent. The Phillies need to do whatever they have to to keep him. I don't care what it is at this point. The changes are fine to me if it if it means that they don't have to. I mean, I'm not sure how much the creators are really looking for, but 
if they can get out of paying it and these subtle changes are enough for that, then it's fine by me. As long as our, our big green guy is still in CBP, right. it's fine. It's a staple. It's a staple. You can't have the Phillies without the Philly fanatic. Now, of course, there was a time where the Phillies were the Phillies without the fanatic, but, you know, it's just you can't go back. Like, once you, you have them, you can't go back. Like I said at kind of the beginning of this segment, arguably – the greatest mascot in all of professional sports, all of sports in general. I mean, people love the fanatic. Um, so it, it would, it would be tough. I think as a fan to not have the fanatic there, but at the end of the day, you know, it, I don't want to see something like this get messy, like with, with my hometown team and, and the whole thing with, with the lawsuit and all that. It's just, it, it would be a distraction, even though it's not going to distract from what's going on in the field and what the, what the team's actually doing. Uh, you know, it just looks bad for, especially when it's your team. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't sit well. I agree with you, and I think it'll all work out in the end, so we don't have to worry too much about it. Yeah, but I mean, I'm with you, though. Lock, lock up the Fanatic, get that long-term deal done. Maybe it's not 13 for 330 like Bryce, but uh, you know, there, there's definitely some cha-ching in the bank to, to throw out to, our, to the, green, the green man. Um, so yeah, get it done. I think they're gonna, the Phillies are going to work on JT Real Muto first, try to get that one locked down, but then we'll, we'll see about the Fanatic and see what he can give us long-term. Hey, maybe they're a package deal. And you know Bryce loves the Fanatic a bunch. Maybe he'll throw him some money. Mike and Jake back with you on episode four of Pass and Stowe. Rolling along here. Talked a little bit about the Philly Fanatic here in the first segment of the pod. A lot going on with that. It's definitely a developing story. It will continue to to see what happens with that as the season goes on. Not even into the regular season, but Jake, there's plenty to talk about since we since we last been on the air. A lot going on around spring training now that the Grapefruit League games are have been pretty much every day that this schedule is, um, you know, flowing pretty well at this point, pretty regular schedule down in Clearwater, Uh, a lot to talk about. And let's start talking about Zach Wheeler, the $118 million man from this off season, the big signing for the Phils. And he made his spring debut the other day against the Blue Jays. You know, the the results, you know, this is a time in the, in spring where the results don't matter. It's just about going out there and executing, working on mechanics, working on certain pitches and just kind of getting out there for the first time in a Phillies uniform. So it, Jake, I know, I don't know about you, but I know it's, it, it was cool for me to finally see Zach out there in the red and white pinstripes. And uh, he's going to be a big piece to this team. So uh, it's cool to, cool to see him out there um, getting ready to go for this upcoming 2020 campaign. Yeah, it was great to see Wheeler out there and it was pretty, it was pretty good to see uh, his outing with, the only hit he gave up was the two-run home run that the Blue Jays had, and that's pretty much what what ended his day. But uh, so far, I mean, he he did pretty well going out there, and uh, he had some nice command of his pitches. I really liked um, seeing the stuff that I was reading about Wheeler, uh, and, and really just some of the other guys were really impressing too. We'll talk about him later, uh, Mickey Moniak, but he looked all right. So I think uh, we'll see some better stuff out of him out of this the rest of the spring. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Zach right now is just getting acclimated to a new club. I know, you know, reading some articles over the past couple of days, and he he's not rushing anything. The Phillies aren't rushing anything. They want to just get him situated. Look, this is a five-year deal. We're not worried about Zach Wheeler going out there in, in, in late March and April and, and just lighting the town on fire. Look, this is a five-year deal. Uh, still in his uh, still in um still on the younger side of 30 in his late 20s. Look, there's there's time for Wheeler to get going uh, with the Phils. So it's good to see him out there. Two innings. Yeah, I mean, you you look at just the box score and you see two runs um, in, in two innings of work, walk the guy, you know, thinking, eh, whatever. But, you know, like you said, the only hit he gave up was the bomb. And like I said, it's 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 too early to get caught up in actual stats in spring training. It's more about just seeing a guy out there. Uh, what's he throwing? What pitches is, is he working on? And, and that sort of thing. And Zach's had an injury history, so that's something to – 
to keep an eye on. But one thing that that could really benefit Wheeler this season is uh, one of the things that I've been reading, Jake, is is about just his pitch usage and, and what he's thrown out there now. Um, you know, a lot of pitchers over the last couple of years, Garrett Cole being one of them, when he went to the Astros, started throwing a ton more four seam fastballs and using the curveball more often. Two pitches that major league pitchers have had a lot of success with recently, just in this new era of baseball with a lot of long balls, a lot of walks and strikeouts kind of thing. So if Zach Wheeler can can kind of follow that and they think the Phillies think that that path can work for him, going more to that four seam fastball, uh, using the curveball a lot more, that's not a pitch he's used a lot in his career. I think we can see a new level of Zach Wheeler that you know we didn't see when he was with the Mets. Yeah, hopefully he uh, hopefully he pitches better than I talk because good God, I'm having some trouble today. But yeah, his his curveball is effective when he uses it. In the article that you sent me, actually uh, from Todd Zalecki on MLB.com, it, he talks about his curveball and how he he threw it only ten times or ten percent last season, but opponents had a 205 expected batting average and a 246 expected slugging percentage. So it's a good pitch. It's just a matter of him throwing it. So I think you're right. I think the four seam is going to be key for him this year. And the curveball, I think, is probably going to be even more key because, I mean, a 205 expected batting average, that's 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 going to really help him in a in a hitter's park, essentially, what CBP is. And he didn't really have that in, in New York with, with City Field, but I think it's going to be more evident in – Citizens Bank Park, he's going to have to mix his pitches a lot more. I think we've seen over the past couple of seasons how effective Aaron Nola is when his curveball is on. I mean, that pitch is devastating. I mean, you can go as far to say as it's one of the best curveballs in, in the majors, not even just in the National League, not even just the NL East. But if Zach can kind of harness that pitch and, and use that more to his advantage, uh, more more power to him and good good news for the Phillies. And, and Jake, I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. There's There's a wide range of opinions on this Zach Wheeler signing. and think that that those opinions will continue to evolve once we actually see him out there more in the spring more once the the season starts but uh, a lot of people didn't like the signing at all other people loved it and say hey look this guy's projects off the charts we you know they think he can can really be a stud and kind of show another level uh with with a new club and i actually saw a tweet the other day that said, uh, can't wait to watch the, the 2020 NL Cy Young winner, Zach Wheeler, get on the bump for the Phillies. So maybe that's a little too far to go right now. But I mean, hey, he's got the talent, no doubt. Yeah, that is going a little too far, calling him the Cy Young winner for this year. I think it's going to be key, like you said, for him to just stay healthy. He's had those injury concerns over the past few years. So really, it's about the health. And if you look at the other pitchers on the market, they they were not going to get Garrett Cole, especially for what he signed for. He wasn't. They weren't going to get Steven Strasburg because I mean he got a lot of money too, and he wasn't most likely was not leaving Washington. And then you look at other pitchers that got decent deals. Cole Hamels for what he got for that one season. Wheeler's AAV is average annual value isn't that much higher than what Cole Hamels got, and Cole Hamels is at the tail end of his career. So if we're able to get Wheeler at that AAV for five years in his prime, that's a great contract. I don't see how any fans could really be against it. I guess if you really are just not a fan of Zach Wheeler, you are going to be upset at the signing no matter how much money it is. But a rotation that just needs the pitching help needs that second guy because they're not getting it out of the guys in the back of the rotation. Maybe Eflin one of these days, but Wheeler's Wheeler's very crucial for this season. He's he's probably going to be a, co- a topic of conversation for this whole season when it comes to this pitching rotation and just the effectiveness of us 
with this pitching rotation heading into the playoffs. Hopefully, he sends us to the playoffs. Sure, sure. And of course, with with the hundred eighteen million dollar contract attached to him, yeah, there's going to be expectations. It's it, you know, look, he's he's not the ace of this staff, but he very well could pitch like an ace. And, and if that's the situation, uh, then the the Phillies are going to be in good shape with two ace like pitchers. But right now, Zach Wheeler's locked into the number two spot in the rotation. The number five spot is what's up up for grabs right now, Jake. And we talked on the last pod about Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez, the two main guys fighting for that spot. They're the two that have had the most work, the most seasoned major league arms that are fighting for it. But how about another arm? How, how about Ranger Suarez? That's a name that could find himself you know, deeper into this fifth starter competition conversation as the spring moves on. What are your thoughts on Ranger getting that number five spot potentially? He came out of nowhere, if we're being honest. We only mentioned three names when we were talking about this fifth spot. We talked about, like you said, Pavetta, Velasquez, and Irvin. And Suarez has come out. He's only pitched five innings, so it's like you can't really – you have to take this with a grain of salt because five innings out of two games is nothing like what he's going to see during the season if he actually becomes the starter. But five innings pitched, no runs at all. His whips one two. He looks he looks really good on the mound, and he he surprised a lot of people, including myself. And even though the Phillies lost against the Orioles, his last start, he still had a great game uh, for what he had, like for what he was to work with. It was only a couple innings, but um, but Pavetta didn't hasn't really looked great. Uh, neither has Irvin. But Velasquez, looking at his stats, I mean, he's only thrown two innings too. I mean, no earned runs either. So uh, Velasquez and Ranger are probably the two guys that are looking at the top of that spot in terms of the four guys competing. But uh, so far, Ranger is definitely, uh, in my opinion, he looks like the leader in the clubhouse right now when it comes to these these four guys. Yeah, And uh, yeah, I mean, de- definitely a long shot at the beginning of spring training. I mean, like you said, we didn't even mention him kind of in that conversation. I don't think a lot of people did. It's, and But this is what spring training is all about. You see somebody else emerge that, look, the Phillies have seen this guy at the major league level, but they haven't seen maybe the potential that that he has down the road. So it's cool that that he, you know, he's turning some heads in the spring down in Clearwater. And I, I think just the fact that you add him to the competition, look, that's going to make Pavetta and Velasquez and Irvin even hungry or the fact that there's another name out there. Um, so the, the competition grows and, and it's cool because, look, uh, not, one through four, it's, it's pretty set, I think. The, but the, the Phillies really don't know what they're going to get really out of everybody from Wheeler on. I mean, I think you pretty much know what you're going to get out of Nola. But again, we've talked about the question marks with Wheeler. We're thinking positive with him, but you never know. Arietta's maybe the biggest question mark of all. And then Eflin, pretty solid number four starter in a big league club. Um, but can he be better? Is he going to be worse? Who knows? So that fifth starter spot's interesting. I, I like it. I like the fact that there could be a lefty in the rotation. Uh, Cole Irvin's a lefty too, but Ranger Suarez, I think he, he's got some upside that that maybe not, not a lot of people know about. So it'd be cool to see see a lefty in there. I know I don't know about you, Jake, but like when I'm when I'm out here putting together, let's say an MLB the Show lineup, uh, and and my my team in MLB the Show, I want at least one lefty in my rotation just to kind of change things up. I like throwing lefties in there. Uh, the Phillies have had a lot a significant um, a, a lot of righty starters over the years. They haven't really had a that set lefty starter really since like. Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels. So it's, it's, I think it'd be good to see a Southpaw in there if he can win the job, but nonetheless, some good competition moving forward. Yeah. And he, and he, we've only really seen him out of the pen. So it's going to be a really good game, uh, a really good debut, I guess, if we come up and see him as the fifth guy and, and he's only 24. So he's still really young. still a lot of um, decent potential. I know as a prospect, he was um, pretty highly coveted in terms of the pitchers that the Phillies had. I mean, they're, they're, 
farm system wasn't really that deep. It was really six toe. And I guess you could say Ranger before we had Nola. So I think Ranger will be a nice, healthy addition. I think Pavetta really needs to improve on his next start. Same thing with Irvin. Uh, both of them really need to improve on their next start if they want any chance of keeping that. And uh, Ranger's looking really good right now. Yeah, and one of the things about spring training for a lot of guys, look, the veterans, you know, you let them ease in into situations, but there are certain guys that if you got to come into camp ready to win a job, you better be ready from the start. And look, not to say these guys aren't ready, but yeah, I mean, for guys like Pavetta and Velasquez, you know, they've had their chances, you know, younger guy coming in, he's going to push them. So uh, if any, if nothing else, I think it's good for the competition to, with, with the other guys. And for Suarez, I like what he said. He said, you know, I've been a starter my whole career, but I'll, I'll do what the team needs. And I think that's a good mindset, especially for a young guy and especially for a lefty who could, uh, you know, maybe he could, becomes a swing man, you know, a little bullpen action, some rotation action when needed. Um, but it'll be fun. I, th- I think it's fun to have another name in the competition uh, nonetheless. But uh, the bullpen's another situation where a few spots up for grabs. Are you buying into Sir Anthony Dominguez, one, being healthy this year? and two, kind of being the lockdown guy we saw towards the end of 2018? We really need it. I mean, we need, oh, some, no guy, we need some guy in the bullpen to be able to just shut down innings. I mean, because really, if you look at it, the only consistent guy in that pen right now is probably Hector Neris, and even then, the consistency hasn't really been there. So it's weird. It's hard for me to say the most consistent guy when he never has really shown it. So uh, Sir Anthony's going to be huge for for this season, and and hopefully he's able to get on the right track and get healthy. I mean, it was a really kind of freak injury last year, and and having him not having him out the whole year last season was a big blow. It's the same thing that happened um, with a couple of the other guys that we had coming into the pen. But it's going to be a big year for Sir Anthony. And I, I'm going to buy it. I, I'm not sure if he not. I mean, I don't think he's going to be ready for the season if he's just throwing simulated games now. I mean, but um, I'm hoping that he's ready, but I have to kind of ease my expectations and kind of expect him to be out for a little bit. Same thing with like McCutcheon. Yeah. Th- he threw a sim game on Sunday and uh, the report is that he'll be ready for grapefruit league games this week, which is, which is an awesome sign considering how much of a disappointment it was with him and the injury woes last year. Uh, I mean, how much better does that bullpen look if Sir Anthony's healthy and, and he can give them quality innings? Maybe you don't make him the ninth inning guy. Maybe you don't put him in the highest leverage situations right out of the gate. But if you can ease him in once he's healthy and he says he's he wants to be ready for opening day, you know, if you're the Phillies, you're probably thinking more on the cautious end. A um, couple weeks in, who knows? But I mean, how much better would that pen look if you got Dominguez in there with Neris and then you got the lefties with Alvarez and Morgan who knows? David Robertson could come back at some point. That's that's really being optimistic. But I mean, that the pen's going to look pretty solid if you got Dominguez in there healthy and producing. Yeah, he's going to be their most important relief guy outside of Hector Neris. And uh, like you said before, he adds to uh, a lot of variety that this bullpen could have, especially having uh, Sir Anthony come in being being a righty there so uh and going back to age too i mean it it helps the phillies stay young too he's only 25 so the phillies are getting younger by the day if they add suarez and and dominguez to this um to this pitching staff here i think it's really going to be key so i i really like the chances of having sir anthony this year just maybe not to start the season i mean he he was nasty man at the end of 2018 and it was fun to watch that's the thing like you know last year i think there were certain parts of the philly season that were really fun some really fun stretches they at least had some more fun players out there bryce harper jt real muto mccutcheon but i mean towards the end of 2018 dominguez i don't think anybody expected 
that he was going to do what he did, especially as a rookie first, first chance at the big league. And he was throwing some big innings, but it was just fun to watch him out there. A young guy, um, you know, a homegrown guy. Uh, so he, he's important. And I mean, you know, I'm just picturing in my head, Philly's got to get a big out in the seventh or eighth inning at some point early in the season. You can throw him in there and then you still have Naris to lock down a game at the end of the ninth or, or vice versa. Maybe Naris comes in and gets that high leverage out in the seventh or eighth or, or something like that. Uh, and then you go to Sir Anthony Dominguez to close it out. But a lot of possibilities if you have his name there on the lineup card healthy. I, th- I think he definitely has one of the coolest names in baseball too, though. Sir, Sir Anthony, Anthony Dominguez. You got Sir Anthony and then Sir Didi. Now different sirs, but I, I think that that could be a cool uh, that could be a cool Phillies thing this year. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, pl- plenty to, plenty to roll on with here with the spring training topics surrounding the Phillies. Talked a lot about pitching there with Wheeler, Ranger Suarez, Sir Anthony. But what about what about the lineup, Jake? Andrew McCutcheon, the report out there that he will start the season on the injured list. Now that's not a huge surprise. We kind of talked about that. You know what would happen if he did. Start the season on the aisle in, in episode three of Pass and Stowe. But here on episode four, the report is he will not start the season with the club. So without McCutcheon, who's batting leadoff for you, Jake? It's got to be Segura. Segura or Kingery, probably. I mean, Segura has probably the most experience when it comes to leading off. I mean, the stats we have here down um, 304 batting average, 346 on base percentage uh, in the leadoff spot. So he, he's been in that spot before. I think he's the clear choice. If you're looking at other places, if you want to kind of spice things up a little bit, maybe you throw Hazley up there just to see what happens. I mean, he hasn't really had that opportunity. Even at Virginia, he didn't really do that very much. He was the clean, he was the the three hitter, the three hole guy in Virginia when he was there. So um, there's really not much the Phillies have in terms of options. I guess it's really McCutcheon or Segura and maybe Kingery. I, I, that's the only other guy I can think of. But um, I can't really see Real Muto starting the leadoff. It's weird to see a catcher up there, even uh, if that catcher is a good hitter. I still don't see that being a possibility. And um, obviously, you're not putting Bryce up there. I don't think. I, I, I'm pretty sure that Girardi isn't like Kapler and is going to put Reese Hoskins up at the leadoff spot like yeah. he did last year. <laughs> I'm hoping that's the case. So Reese hopefully stays at that four. Um, but to me, it's got to be Segura um, just because of the experience up there and the fact that he can get on base. Uh, he has one of the higher – for his career, he has one of the higher on-base percentages out of any player, uh, out of any position player on the Phillies. So he's got to be the clear choice for me. Is that the same for you? Uh, you know what? I don't know if – I think he's the, the, the front runner. I think that's the, the most logical. But I don't, know if he, I don't know if I'd go there every single time. Like I don't know if I'd pencil him in there like from the start and say, hey, you're going to hit leadoff every game until McCutcheon's back. I'm going to throw out a name for you, and you mentioned it. JT Real Muto. I'm thinking the Phillies could spice some things up here and throw him out there in a the leadoff spot every once in a while. Now, will they do it? I don't know. And uh, you mentioned a situation with Reese Hoskins. Look, I don't. Yeah, Joe Girardi. I don't think he's he's going Gabe Kapler and putting Reese at the top of the lineup. He probably came into spring and was like, "Look, bro, uh, I might I might move you around the middle of the lineup, but you're not hitting leadoff." Um, but with, with JT, I don't know. Look, this guy's hit a, a few different spots. I. I I'd be comfortable putting JT really anywhere one through six in this lineup and, and see, I could see him producing in any spot. Uh, it, it would be, I think it'd be fun to see him hit lead off a little bit. Now, look, I'm not saying he's going to do this every game or at all, but with the Marlins hit 273 with a 353 on base in 46 at bats out of the leadoff spot in 2018, which is about 11 or 12 games in that spot. So really, really small sample size. 
You go back to 2017, he hit 452 with a 469 on base in 31 at bats in 2017 at a leadoff spot. So that's an even smaller sample size, just 31 ABs there. But look, this is a guy who knows how to get on base. He knows how to hit. He's got some pop, and uh, he he runs, you know, pretty well for a catcher. He's not one. He's not a slow. He's not a slow running catcher. Um, so I don't know. Are you, are you are you on board with the little spice there, Jake, at the top of the lineup, throwing the catcher up there? Yeah, I don't I don't see how it could go wrong. I don't think it's it's a safe choice. Definitely, if you're looking at both of these guys, if you want someone to get on base, they both have similar on base percentages. And um, where Real Muto has the advantage is the walks category. If you really are a big proponent of your of your leadoff guy getting walks, a Real Muto would have the edge there over Segura. Um, I think your spice is probably more spicy than my. Adam Hazley take. I think the uh-huh. Hazley ones is kind of all out of nowhere um, and kind of doesn't make any sense. But I, I, I could see Real Muto getting up there because he does, he does have, he doesn't have as much experience up in the leadoff spot as Segura, but he has almost the same effectiveness as he does. So I think if you choose either one of those guys, it's not going to be um, detrimental to your team. I don't think. Right, and I'm, I mean, I'm cool with Segura in the leadoff spot. Here's a, here's a major league veteran. He's played for what? This is his fifth team now, something like that around there. But uh, a guy, guy knows his, knows how to handle the bat. Um, can poke it the other way when you need to. He, you know, he doesn't walk a lot, but it's a guy who, who, who throughout his career has been a good high average hitter, and especially he's done that at a leadoff spot. 361 career games in the leadoff spot. He's at 304 with a 346 on base, and uh, career, in his career, in his first at bat of a game. He's a 314 hitter with an 828 OPS. So those are some numbers that you're going de- you're definitely going to take. Those are all-star level numbers at a leadoff spot for for Segura, at least in the first AB of a game. So I like Segura hitting one, but if if they wanted to get creative and and do a little bit what the Marlins tried at, at one point in 17 and 18 and put Real Muto in that one spot, uh, I think it'd be cool because then I think you can slot Segura in the two hole, and Segura's been a good two hole hitter throughout his career. So. Um, you know, I think it'd be fun. I really do. I think that look, there, there's situations where you can kind of mix and match because of something that happened that, that forces you to do it with McCutcheon being out. Look, if McCutcheon's healthy, I'm not messing with it. But the fact that he's hurt, look, now you got to get creative potentially, you know, maybe throw JT up there. Now, one thing I will say about a catcher leading off, that's tough because he's got to warm up the pitcher in the bullpen and then rush, get his gear off and, and be ready to hit to start the game, especially on the road because... Your team's hitting first, so that's tough. But maybe at home, when he doesn't have to worry about batting first and leading off the game as the road team, maybe do it at home and and kind of you know see how it works. Why not? Maybe the MLB will create an exception where JT can still bat but have his shin guards on. That'd be Keep awesome. Shin <laughs> now I'll tell you what though, like just from all my years of catching, you know, when you're in the on deck circle and there's two outs and you're thinking like I don't know, I don't know if I want to just take all my gear off right now because I could just be going out there next pitch. But then, you know, the guy in front of you gets on base, then you got to take the shin guards off and, you know, the ump's got to wait for you. But, uh, yeah, let JT hit with the shin guards on, huh? I think he'll – he won't run as fast, but I think he'll he'll be, he'll be a little bit more protected than he would be before. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see. I, I, you know, I, I think the Phillies will go down that Segura path in the leadoff spot, and I think you're you're on point with that. But I'm, I'm all about seeing JT do it for a little bit. And, hey, you know, mix and match him throughout the one spot, the two spot, maybe hitting in the five hole. Who knows? But he's one of those guys that, you know, he's got pop. He can hit for average. I, I'd be willing to put him at really anywhere one through six in the lineup and, and seeing how the how the rest of the guys respond around him. Um, but a couple couple more spring training topics here on the Pass and Stow Pod episode four. Jake, before we kind of get into a look at what the opening day roster could look like, 
How about Mickey Moniak? He's he's one of the youngsters that has stood out in in spring training. Now he's coming in late in games, and he's not necessarily facing major league pitchers that, that come in in those Grapefruit League games. But the fact the fact of the matter is, he's putting up some good numbers, getting his first big league spring training shot. Uh, how about Mickey? Um, you know, turning some turning some heads. He's been impressive, especially considering he's one of those guys that people have basically called him a bust. I mean, he was the 20, he was the number one pick a few years ago coming out of high school. There's a lot of big expectations out of a kid like that. So he's going to have a lot of weight on his shoulders and coming in here, his first spring training, even more so. So it's good to see him. He's hitting 400. I mean, he's got a 1200 OPS, not very many at bats, obviously, but uh, he's been one of the bright spots for me. I've been reading up on his, on, on Twitter of, of Moniac trying to keep up with kind of some, things going on in camp and apparently Moniac has been doing really well defensively he's had a couple nice grabs out in center field and out in the outfield so it's been really great to hear about that and um, not only him but the other bright spot obviously is the guy we've talked about a lot in the last few podcasts and that's Alec Bohm he's been lighting it up uh, in spring training so far he's hitting seven for 13 Uh, he's doing a great job right now he's been a been a great contributor over at third base. So um, both of those guys have been a key area of pretty much like a bright spot of the future to really be happy about and see. Um, It's more important about Moniac to me just because it's really great to see him, even if he's not facing big league pitching, like you mentioned, it's still great to see him putting up productive numbers, even if it is against um, these lower level guys, because even in the lower levels that he's in now, he's not producing. So seeing him do that now, hopefully leads him to a, a good start to 2020 and even um, maybe a call up in 2021 or even uh, later on early 2022. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The fact that look, regardless of what pitching he's facing, the fact that he's doing it in Grapefruit League games in his first uh, his first go around in big league camp, I think it's cool to see. And look, I think a lot of people uh, wrote him off when he was drafted because one, either he wasn't the guy that as a Phillies fan you wanted or they're thinking like, all right, we're taking a 17 year old kid out of high school. It's going to take forever for him to get up here. But you know, we've talked about him on a couple of the, the episodes so far. Only 21 years old, had a pretty solid season from what I saw last year up close and personal at Double A. Saw him play six games in the Eastern League. Um, look, he's a guy I like a lot, and I think I, I believe on 75% of our shows so far, three out of four episodes, I've talked about Mickey Moniak and how I think he's a little underrated. People kind of writing him off, but. Um, it's really cool because he could have easily come into big league camp, regardless of what pitching he was facing, regardless of where he is in the lineup or uh, what days he's getting out there. He could have come out here and thrown up like a, a 150 batting average and no RBI kind of thing, but he looks good out there. He really does. I'm excited to see, and I'm glad that uh, he's able to do this. And uh, it, it looks like he looks comfortable out there. He really does. And uh, Bohm does too. Some of the other youngsters. And it's good because look, th- this isn't one of the best farm systems in baseball, it's just as simple as that. It's not one of the top systems, and it lacks depth. But uh, towards the top, uh, I think we got some studs coming through the pipeline. Yeah, it's good. And and just to kind of segue into our topic of just expecting what we're going to see from the 2020 roster, I mean, another guy we've been looking at, Kyle Garlick, he's actually in Zalecki's projection. So if you want to hit on that a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, Jake, when I when I first looked at, uh, you know, Todd does some great stuff covering the Phillies for MLB.com, and he put out this piece projecting – the opening day roster. Now, of course, it's it's still really early and a lot could change. Uh, there's a lot set in stone already. You know, some of the veterans that are going to be there. Uh, we've talked about one through four in the rotation set. 
um, you know, the, the, the starters in the infield and, you know, Harper out there in the outfit, every, that stuff set real Muto behind the dish, stuff like that. But, you know, the final outfield spot, garlic's a guy, uh, the bullpen, that fifth starter spot, the bench pieces, but yeah, starting with garlic, Jake on that, uh, you know, look, the guy hits <laughs> and I, and as a bench bat, you you want a guy who, uh, can go in there and, you know, come up in a pinch hit opportunity and drive the ball to either the gap or out of the ballpark. And, um, the Phillies did a good job and under the radar move to bring him in here, a guy with big league experience. They, all they got rid of was a minor league arm to bring him over. And, uh, look with the McCutcheon injury, he becomes more important. And, and I'd be cool seeing him, uh, on the opening day, 26. I think he'll be, uh, one of those guys, like you mentioned, uh, being a, a, a key bat in the, in the bench, uh, I mean, he didn't really have too much experience last year. He only had 48 at-bats, but um, a little bit of big league experience, but still more than some of these younger guys. So that's why I kind of uh, mentioned him in that young uh, young guys category. But um, seeing Neil Walker up there is pretty good, too. He's been having a pretty good spring. Yeah, Neil Walker is a guy that I've, I've liked a lot from a distance throughout his big league career. A lot of years with the Pirates, some time with the Yanks, uh, the Marlins last year. Look, this this guy's he, he's a professional hitter. I, I think he, regardless of the situation he's in, whether it's bench bat or starter, uh, what he was for most of his career, he's going to hit. Switch hitter. Uh, he's got a little bit of pop. Um, you know, at this point, I don't know defensively how much he gives you, but just as a switch hitter to have off the bench, I think that gives him an advantage. And I'd, I'd like to, I definitely like to see the Phillies at some point uh, give him a shot. Um, there, there's, there's a, there's a few of these guys that I like though. I like Logan Forsyth tearing it up this spring. Josh Harrison's a guy in terms of character and makeup. He brings a lot to a club, uh, f- former, uh, teammate with, with Neil Walker and McCutcheon, a lot of former pirates in camp. The, the article that he put out, this is what he's looking at as the, as the opening day 26. These are his projections. So he's got with, with the locks in the infield, he's got Hoskins, Segura, Didi and Kingery. And then uh, he's got Neil Walker and Logan Forsyth winning the last two infield bench spots. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I, I don't see really much disparity. I mean, you're not going to get a guy like Bohm or anyone up there. So I think those are pretty good. I think Walker and Forsyth, like you said, are our key additions. Same thing with Garlic. And um, <laughs> we're going to be seeing Jay Bruce up again uh, in for uh, one of the rotational guys. He might even be starting over in left field because of the McCutcheon injury. So um, it's it's good to see. Jay Bruce, but it's also not good to see him. He's got that low average, but he has such a power potential. It's like it's bittersweet to see him back up. Streaky, streaky guy. I'll tell you that. I mean, last year he went on that tear once he came over to the club, which was cool to see. He was pressed into action with some injuries and just tore it up. I mean, it, through that what week and a half, two week stretch, just crushing the baseball, which which was nice. And that's kind of what Jay Bruce has been throughout his career. He's not going to be your high average guy, but he'll he'll drive the ball to the ballpark. He's He's got pop. He, he's a threat off the bench or when he's in the everyday lineup. Defensively, not going to give you a ton, but, um, you know, he, he's a lock for the bench. And But with Garlic, I like that right-handed bat compliment on the bench. Roman Quinn's had some injury issues over the years, and he seems to be a lock to make the roster because he doesn't have any options left and with the McCutcheon injury. But a lot could change. A guy like Josh Harrison, who's getting reps in the outfield, could find a way on the team if, if he can show that he can play one of the corners. Um, so I don't know, but, I mean, the way Zalecki has it with Walker and Forsyth and Garlic kind of getting those last three bench spots, I think all three bring some pop and a, a trusted bat, all three with Major League experience, Forsyth and Walker uh, with significant experience. Um, I, I, th- I think the Phillies bench is it's definitely a scary bench, I'll say that. It's scary, and I think something that I'd really like to see maybe at 
towards the end of the season or um, at some point, whether like Jay Bruce, if they end up waving someone like him or even uh, not garlic, but somebody like maybe a, a Logan Forsyth, I'd like to see Nick Williams get another shot. Uh, Nick Williams is one of those guys where he was a top prospect in this organization when they got him from the Rangers. And he had a, I, I'm not going to say a great, but he had a, a good debut. He hit 288. He he started in some games. He he had 12 home runs. He had 17 and 18, but he kind of just fell apart last year and they couldn't really rely on him. So um, I don't want to lose that kind of potential in Nick Williams because he, I mean, we talked about Nick Williams being one of those, one of the future guys, one of the future core guys for this team. And uh, he's kind of just fallen by the wayside. So I, I would like to see him get an opportunity at some point this season. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You don't want to see that potential wasted or them to lose that potential. That's a really great way to kind of describe what Nick Williams is to this organization. Now, it seemed last year and um, last couple of years, now Kapler, uh, it, it just didn't seem like Kapler liked Nick Williams at all. And maybe, maybe Matt Klintak in the front office doesn't either because he didn't really get a fair shake last year. And I think this is a guy with so much talent and he's produced in the past given opportunities, but he just didn't have the opportunity last year. And and I don't know why he didn't get that opportunity. So he's one guy that I, I definitely like to see um, get a shot at some point. Maybe he's not on the opening day roster, but you're right, Jake. There's a lot of talent there. I would almost rather him be the starting left fielder than Jay Bruce, if I'm being honest, because he, Jay Bruce is nice and all, and he's, like you said, he's streaky. He's got the power potential that you want out of a guy who's going to be hitting fifth or sixth. But Nick Williams, I think, has just as much power potential as Jay Bruce does. And I think you got to develop him more. He, I mean, he's 26, so he's he's not a, too young anymore, but he still has a lot to give you, and he still has a lot more to develop. So I think – I feel like it would be better off for this team's future to have Nick Williams up already and him being yeah. the starting left fielder. But I understand money-wise it's, it's better to have Jay Bruce up there because, I mean, um, Nick Williams has already been up in the majors for a few years now, so it's like he already has some major league experience, uh, major league service too. That's what I meant to say. Um, so I think he's eligible for arbitra- arbitration soon. So you might as well get some more service time out of him before you have to go to arbitration. Yeah, and the thing, it's, it's almost hurting Williams that he's a left-handed hitter because the Phillies quietly have a left-handed heavy outfield with Harper, Bruce, and Hazley there. Now Quinn's a switch hitter, um, but McCutcheon and Garlic, right-handed guys. Uh, and a lot's going to change once McCutcheon comes back and they got to make a move. Um, but for, for me, one guy that I'm not, you know, look at some point you're going to have to move on from Roman Quinn if he can't stay healthy or he can't give you enough. Yeah, he's fast, but he's gonna have to show that he can get on base, stay healthy. Um, but I mean, the, the, the speed kills and, and he can, he can flag it down in center. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they could find a way to get Nick Williams, some reps or ABs and some of these things always find a way to work themselves out with injuries and, and stuff like that. But we'll see, uh, before we take a break and, and, and kind of wrap up the show, Jake, a couple bullpen spots up for grabs, and it looks like the locks are Neris, Dominguez, Alvarez, Morgan. We mentioned those four guys. Suarez and Velasquez, if they lose out on the rotation, could be in the pen. But then Todd Zalecki in this article has Francisco Liriano and Anthony Swarzak, two major league veterans, getting the last two spots. What are your thoughts there? I like it. I like the Liriano. He's he's an older guy. He's got a lot of experience, but he, I feel like, is a much-needed older arm to have in that bullpen he's got a lot of experience there um that's probably the name out of those two that jumps out to me the most I mean Swarzak is a nice addition but I think Liriano is probably the more I wouldn't say star-studded because he's never really been a star but he's definitely the more well-known addition and he was one of those guys actually ESPN had an article out there of the most interesting names out of the non-roster spots in spring training for each team 
and Liriano was that for the Phillies. So um, I think he's the guy that I like the most out of those uh, couple that you mentioned for the, the last bullpen spots. What about you? I'm all I'm all down for Liriano. I, I think he he provides a lot of value if he can be a multi-inning reliever. Now, look, you, you, the the three batter minimum rules in effect this year, so he's going to have to show that he can get righties out, and he's kind of been burned by righties over the last few years. But if he can show that he can be a one to two inning guy and, and not be affected by that three batter minimum and still get righties out, then I'm all for having a, a major league veteran like Liriano out there in the pen because. There's a guy who may, maybe there's some nights where you need four or five innings out of a reliever, and maybe he could be that guy. You can stretch him out to kind of be a long man and, and do that. But uh, Swarzak's a guy who, you know, his numbers don't look great so far this spring, and over the last couple of years, his numbers don't necessarily look great. But he seems to always find a job and, and find a way to get outs at, at least at some point during the season. Last year with the Braves, late in the season kind of fell apart. But he seems like he always finds a way to get the job done, at least in, in the role he's in. But, um, you know, another name the Phillies brought in this spring, Drew Storen. He's a guy that coming into camp, I'm thinking like, all right, maybe they can, you know, find something out of Drew Storen, a guy who was a top talent a few years back with the Nationals. But, uh, you know, I'm not really on the Bud Norris train. I'm not really feeling him. Uh, some of these other guys, it's just, there's not a ton of names. Victor Arano, when he's healthy, probably takes one of these bullpen spots. So that, that definitely, uh, plays a role Tommy Hunter when he's healthy probably has a spot so it it could come down to once these guys are healthy maybe we don't even worry about the bullpen and maybe it's decent so you know it very well could come down to that yeah maybe we get a Vince Velasquez in the bullpen at some point this season (laughs) yeah maybe sticks maybe he's a his swing guy who knows but definitely some question marks but it's early that's Todd Zalecki's roster preview going over some of that but um, that should that'll do it for what what was a lengthy spring training segment Jake I'm I'm a little out of gas we got to take a break here on episode four, but when we come back, top five to wrap up episode number four of Pass and Stow. Episode four, Pass and Stow, Mike and Jake getting ready for the final segment of the day. And Jake, I'm always excited to do this. We're bringing back top five. Top five. We are going with top five most important position players to the Phillies for the 2020 season. And, uh, you know, with with going with position players today, we're going to get to top five most important pitchers at some point down the road before the end of spring training. But yeah, throw me out your five, Jake, five to one with one being the most important. All right. Yeah. So my five, so I'm going to start at five this time. Unlike the the first time we did this, I started at one. Five is going to be a different one. I don't think you're going to expect it. I I think Adam Hazley is going to be one of the top five position players, Uh, not top five, but top five most important because He's a young guy out in the outfield. We need some depth out there. I mean, you're not, you're not really seeing much youth besides, I mean, Bryce Harper's right in his prime. You have Jay Bruce and uh, Andrew McCutcheon out there, uh, both over 30. So um, you need some youth out there. And Hazley's one of those guys that they drafted in the first round out of Virginia. He really produced in at Virginia and, uh, and we're really going to need some improvement out of him um, if we're going to 
really want to, if we're going to keep seeing him out there because the Phillies have a decent amount of outfielders in their uh, in, in their farm system. So I think having Hazley out there is going to be really important. But uh, I'll go four through to one, and I won't go into much detail. Uh, we'll we'll go back to them. So four, I have uh, Bryce Harper. I actually have a tie for number two, uh, Gene Segura and Scott Kingery. And then number one for me is Reese Hoskins. I've been talking about it all spring. So um, how about you? What's, what's yours looking like? Okay. All right. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but uh, we didn't match up on one, but we matched up on five. I had really? Hazel, I had Adam Hazley in there, and I'm actually shocked that you did too, at least in the same spot. Now, uh, now this isn't one of those things where Jake and I looked at our list and we compared before the show, and then we're going to lie to you people and say that we didn't know. No, we, actually, we absolutely had no idea. Uh, we matched up on Hazley at number five. Uh, number four, I got Andrew McCutcheon. Number three, JT Realmuto. Number two, Reese Hoskins. And number one, Bryce Harper. So that's for me. Some star power towards the top of that list. And Jake, yours was a little different than mine. Uh, let's go back to yours. And, and you talked a little bit about Hazley, but how about your four through one? Yeah, I have I have Harper at four, um, mainly because, I mean, you know what you're going to get out of him. He is important, so he still deserves to be in the top five most important, but I think you're going to be getting a consistent guy. He's going to get you at least a 270, 275 average. Most likely he's going to get on base uh, with his walks. He's going to have, uh, he's going to have 30 plus home runs this season. I think being in Philly, he's a lot more comfortable now. He's, he's got the system. He's got the city down. So I think he, we're going to see a more improved Bryce Harper and we're going to need to, but I mean, he's pretty consistent. His low end is still going to be good enough to be um, the three guy in this spot. I think Kingery and Segura at two uh, is really important, and they're a package deal because mainly because of the guy that's behind them, Alec Bohm. And I think it's the way that they've been moving them around, Gene Segura and Kingery looking at second and third base, who's going to fit where. Is there an odd man out here? I don't think if there's going to be an odd man out, I really don't think it's going to be Kingery just because of the, the team friendly contract they have with him. I think Segura, if you listen to last episode, my my puff puff pass hot take was the Phillies trying to make Segura uncomfortable to maybe force a no trade, force him to waive his no trade. I think Gene Segura either not being that he's not being a great third baseman could could increase the chances of an Alec Bohm being called up earlier. So, and the same thing with Kingery, one of those two guys, I think what, whoever doesn't work at the hot corner there is probably going to be replaced by Alec Bohm maybe at some point this season. So that's why I have them at two. And then one Reese Hoskins, you can't have a season like he did last year. He is the most, I think part of the reason the Phillies struggled last year, not only because of the pitching, but also Reese's and I mean, pretty much everybody, but more or less Reese's, uh, decline in the way that he was hitting. He got on base a lot more and he was really good with his pitch selection, but it came at a detriment to his home runs and to his batting average. So Hoskins is going to be, he he's going to need to be the guy who's hitting 35, 40 plus home runs this season. Similar to what they, the Mets got out of a Pete Alonzo, maybe not 50 plus in, in the season and winning an MVP, but um, or close to winning an MVP at least. So I, th- I think Hoskins is going to be the number one guy, at least from the p- position player standpoint, because he's going to be the guy that's driving in Bryce, driving in a Segura maybe. He's going to be the guy, the most important guy in terms of scoring runs outside of Bryce Harper. I like it. I, I, th- I think that's a really solid top five. I'm still, uh, it's still kind of crazy to me that we, we both hit on Hazley at five, but uh, and I think both for the same reasons. Look, he, I think he means a lot to this team. Now, I don't think 
you necessarily need him to go out there and produce like an all-star or close to it. He can be a rookie and, and kind of, you know, deal with the growing pains. But the, the fact that, look, this is a former first round pick and that, that's kind of the way I'm looking at this uh, top 10 pick a couple of years ago, already got to the big leagues last year. This is a chance for him to, to be up for a full season and really show what, what he can do. I think he'll be solid defensively. Uh, the, the fact that he's playing a premium position of center field, he's got a lot of ground to cover out there. That That's important um, on this position player list, but also what can he give the lineup? Because if he comes out there and, and I think performs like a former first-round pick, that's going to be huge. But again, like I said, not expecting him to necessarily do that right away. Uh, but I think a lot of people last season were kind of just like, all right, maybe Hazley's a piece. But look, this is a guy they took, what was it, eighth overall a couple of years ago? He's a big piece to this future. So uh, I got Hazley at five for that reason. Number four, I got Andrew McCutcheon. And this was easy for me because I think we saw how important Kutch was last year, more so when he wasn't on the field. I mean, he made this team go at the top of the lineup last year. Maybe not always with the production, but his pitch, his pitch selection, drawing walks, seeing the baseball, and, and just what he's able to bring on the intangible side of things. I'm big on the intangibles. Now I get that you want quantifiable production. A lot of people out there, you want to see the numbers and, and, and him producing on the field. But at this point in his career, McCutcheon can still ball, and he means so much to that clubhouse and just kind of the, the vibe of the team. I got him at number four. Number three, I got JT Real Muto. Now, and this is another two-parter for me, kind of like Hazley with the defense in there. Uh, Real Muto means so much defensively as as maybe the most important, like if you're talking about defense and offense combined, maybe he's the most pos- important position player with all of it combined. But I got him at number three. He's going to handle a pitching staff really well. He's going to hit for a pretty high average. He's going to have, you know, 25 plus dingers. Uh, he's going to be able to drive runs in. You know, we talked about earlier, maybe he gets a shot hitting one, two, three, wh- whatever it is. He's a big piece of this team. And uh, if he's going to be the catcher of the future for the next five, six years, uh, he's even that more important in that sense. So I got JT at three. Number two is where I have Reese Hoskins. You had him at one. I like that. But I got him at two uh, for pretty much all the same reasons that you said. Can't have a season like he did last year. Uh, he, he's got to be a, a 35 plus home run guy. He's got to drive in runs. He's got to have a high OPS and he's, he's got to, he, he walks. Look, we get that he walks second in the league with 116 free passes last year, but the, you know, the, the firepower of the, of the offensive side of things, look, hitting the ball, not just walking all the time, driving in guys, uh, jumping on first pitch fastballs and, and mashing two run doubles, you know, uh, bases clearing doubles. We need that from Reese in the middle of that lineup. So that's why he's at number two. And number one, I feel you saying that, look, it's it's easy to put Bryce number one on any list because of how much he means, and he's the face of the franchise now. I got him at number one because I'm thinking, like, well, if that's the case, I'll just put him there. Uh, Harper had some great numbers last year. You know, flat out at the end of the season, you look at his numbers, what he had, 35 bombs, over 100 RBIs, OPS was solid. Really good season. Uh, the one thing that I've talked about this, one of the first couple episodes of Pass and Stowe was the consistency. Can Bryce get hot early? And can he kind of maintain that consistency? Last year, the numbers may look a little skewed because of how good he was in the second half. But can he produce consistently throughout the first half and really carry this team's at times? So that's my list. Hazley, Kutch, Real Muto, Hoskins, and Harper, one through five. I like him. I think the the Harper having being the number one, like you said, it it's a little easy to put him up there, but you're right. I mean, he is the face of the franchise. If, if the Phillies want to succeed, it's going to happen through Bryce Harper. Yeah. No, but I I really do like your list too. Um, you know, you got Harper and Hoskins both in there. I think everybody in Philly can agree 
that those two are easily the two of the top five most important hitters on this team. I really do like your argument with Kingery and Segura and not only, you know, their production, but the guy that's, you know, kind of peeking over their shoulders in the minor leagues, Alec Bohm, the future at third. You know, if 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 he's tearing up in AAA, the Phillies are going to get him up at some point. And does that mean they move Kingery to center field? Does he go to second and Segura's out of a spot? Who knows? But uh, definitely some pressure on those guys. And they are definitely important to this roster in terms of the depth overall. And uh, I think Hazley fits into that depth uh, category of what the position players mean here. All right, that'll do it for episode four of Pass and Stow. Hope you enjoyed the show. I know Jake and I always enjoy bringing you the show and, and kind of, you know, giving you the, the Phillies chatter and throwing out some cool segments out there. And Jake, I know we got a lot more to talk about throughout spring training, man. I know we're both itching to get this season started, but episode four of Pass and Stow, another fun one. And uh, uh, I, I just I just know we're going to keep it rolling with these fun segments and, and throwing out new stuff to talk about. I'm excited for the season to get started. I know it's fun to talk about these topics during spring training, but I'm really excited to see uh, the the Phillies, Phillies players and Phillies faithful out there at the yard. And I'm really, really eager for this year. So let's get it going. That'll do it for episode four of Pass and Stow. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pass and Stow Pod. You can email us at Pass and Stow Pod at gmail.com. Uh, interact with us on Twitter, you know, throw us a, some likes and retweets. We we want to continue to grow the brand and, and keep it going. Only four episodes in, so we're still in the really early stages of, of this podcast, but we want to see it grow. We want to see it, uh, you know, become something where, you know, people are looking forward to listening to us every week. So hit us with the follow on Twitter, retweet us, uh, quote tweet us, uh, you know, tag us in stuff. Uh, Hit it, hit us uh, on on email. You know, I don't, I don't know how many people are going to email a, a podcast, but hey, we'll, we'll take we'll take the comments, the feedback, anything you want to throw at us. Uh, that's episode four of Past the Snow. For Jake Abrams, I'm Michael Marcantonini. We'll see you next time. We'll